Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from the letter that He wrote to us. God bless you. Welcome into the study today. We're very glad to have you. We're going to be picking it up in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 in just a moment. Now, we came into this 13th chapter of Matthew, and it is one of the more important chapters in the Word of God because Christ is laying it out for us in parable form, but he came back and explained to us that there is a good seed and a bad seed. There are children of God and those who do what they're supposed to do, And then there's the children of the wicked one, the children of the devil. And as we discussed in the last study, that seed came into the world as through Mother Eve and was born and was Cain. Therefore, that's why you you hear us mention often the Kenites. The Kenites are the patronage of Cain, meaning his offspring. And they had worked their way up and sit in the high priest position at the time here that Christ is walking the earth. That's why it was so very important that he came at that specific time, bringing forth the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the serpent seed, those Kenites, would bruise his heel. But then that gave him the authority and the justice to come back and bruise Satan's head. Now, as we pick it up here in verse 44, he's going to begin to give us a few more parables. So we ask for clarity and understanding from our Father in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. Now, he just told us in verse 38 of this same chapter, the field is the world. So what is this treasure that he's found? It's truth. It's the truth of this word. And as it says in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, the famine of the end time is not for hunger of bread or thirst of water, but for hearing the true word of God. So if you are in this famine and you're searching the world and you just happen to stumble upon this treasure, that that will curb that hunger, then that is a precious, precious thing. And it would, you would give up anything to receive that truth. Verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, that pearl of wisdom, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He, he didn't care about the world anymore. He didn't care about this, this flesh age. He wanted that pearl of great price from the, the wisdom of God, from this word. Verse 47, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. Verse 49, so, sh- so shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Now that is the same way as the end of the parable of the tares, the wheat and the tares ended. Is that you don't pull the tares up while they're growing next to the wheat because you might harm some of the wheat. But wait to the end of the time. And those tares will get separated from the wheat and the chaff. And then what? Verse 50. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now this furnace of fire, a lot of people have a mental image of an eternal hell where people are just floating around in this lava pit or they're screaming and burning for all eternity. And that's just not the way it is. You see, God's Spirit is a consuming fire. And if that fire comes down, if you're standing right in the middle of that furnace, whenever God's Spirit comes down and is burning away these tears, it won't be anything but warmth and radiate, just radiating love, that, that feeling that you get of just goodness. Now, I mentioned the, the eternal hell as far as just sitting down there frying, eating a thing. Let's, let's turn back to Psalms chapter 37 right quick. I'm going to read three verses out of it. Now, Psalms chapter 37 is an acrostic psalm, meaning there's, it's kind of a secret, uh, a coded message, I guess you could say, in that the, the way it's laid out in Hebrew. And so verse, uh, Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Not the Lord's way, but in his own way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So it's saying, hey, be patient. Just rest in the Lord. There's evil things going in the world, but God's going to handle it. All right, now I'm going to go to verse 20. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. Now, what that's talking about is whenever you're roasting a lamb, let's just say if you're grilling something, and you've got that steak on the grill, and you see the fat drop down, and it gets on the coals, and it just goes, and then that smoke goes up. Now, that smoke will go up forever and ever. It just, it, it, it never turns back into fat, never turns back into meat. It's just smoke from then on. That's the eternity. For those who are consumed, who are cast into that fiery furnace or that furnace of fire to be blotted out. Now, last verse here in Psalms 37 is going to be verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. <clears throat> so that tells us right there that they will be cut out. They'll be blotted out completely. That's why there are no more tears whenever the new heaven and the new earth come. Every tear is wiped away because all evil is gone. And you might say, well, you know, we've always been taught that people just burn in hell for, the, for eternity. What kind of heaven is it if you can look over there and see someone who you knew in, in this flesh just squirming and frying? and that's, that's, just, that's not heaven. And God's not one to torture like that. It's, they're blotted out. 
They're gone. All right, back in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 51. Thus saith unto them, or Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Verse 52. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. All right. So this scribe which is instructed, that means he's being discipled. He's being instructed on how to teach this true word, not how to get out here and tickle ears and, you know, look and act holy and all oh, it just looks so good, but never gets around to really opening the Bible. And then as he's bringing that forth, he becomes as an householder because then he is that wisdom begins to grow and he's able to lead and to help to guide through this word. Now, bringing out of his treasures things new and old, what is that? Well, you can look at it as the New Testament and the Old Testament, be able to understand them. And even more than that, you can take it deeper. You see, this word in the Greek, the, the new and old, is kainos, which equals time, the new time and the old time. So as you are discipled, as you are instructed and learn from this word, then you begin to pick up that there was an age before this flesh age. You begin to understand those deeper pearls, those deeper nuggets that come through that we were all created in the spirit at the same time. We were there when Satan rebelled against God. Some of us stood against him. A third of us followed him. And now that's why we're in the age that we're in with the flesh. Verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, where he grew up, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Which hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Now, this mighty works, in the Greek, this is dunamis. This is where we get our word dynamite from, and it means the power. How did he get this wisdom and this power, this authority to be able to come forward and teach, not as one who has read and studied, but as one that knows, that kind of been there, done that. He's getting it done. He's out here telling them exactly how it is and not backing down any from it. Verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Naturally, we know, no, he wasn't. Joseph raised him, basically adopted him, but he was not the carpenter's son. He was God's son. Is not his mother called Mary? And she was. And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? So basically they're saying, well, he grew up right down the road. How in the world did he get up here? You know, how did he get so smart? I mean, we knew him as a kid. He's just like the rest of us. So how does he think he has authority to get up here and do this? Not knowing they are sitting here looking at God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 57, and they were offended in him, or they stumbled over him, that stumbling block. But Jesus said unto them, unto them a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Meaning... 
he can get honor if, if he goes to a distant anywhere else, they would listen to him. They'd at least respect him. But a prophet in his own place where he grew up, where everybody knows him, they're not really so quick to jump on the, the you know what you're talking about train, I guess you could say. Verse 58, and he did not many mighty works. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, if they would have believed, he could have done these mighty works. He could have healed. He could have done all these miracles that he had been doing everywhere else. But their unbelief caused this to not happen. All right, chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod, the, tetra, the, the tetraarch, the tetrarch, I'll get it out here in a minute, heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth himself in him. So he's thinking, at, at this point, John has been beheaded, and he's thinking, oh man, here, here he's back. That's got to be him. Verse 3, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias, or for Herodias, his sake, his brother's Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And you see what had happened is Philip had passed. This wife was his widow. And Herod had taken her as his wife. And as John said, that's not lawful. You're not to do that. Verse 5. And when he would have, would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, so whenever they were celebrating Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she being before instructed, or kind of her mom told her what to ask for, more or less, of her mother, said, Give me here John the Baptist's head in a charger or in a box. Give me, give me this dude's head in a box. Now that's a great present to ask for, isn't it? And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake. And them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. Now basically what happened is he made this big oath and he was kind of beating on his chest and, oh, I'll give you anything you want. That was just awesome. And she asked for that. Well, he just about bit off more than he could chew. Because now at this point, he's got to do it. He can't break this oath in front of everybody. Verse 10, and he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel. And she brought it to her mother. Man, what a great family. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. So he, you know, he was going to go be alone for a little bit. And he, he withdrew from the crowds and... We're just going to take some time, but then here these crowds come to him. Again, it's action on their part. They followed him on foot. They went out to meet him in this desert place. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, There is a desert place, or this is a desert place, and the time is now past. 
Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals. So, man, we've been out here all day. It's getting late. These folks have got to go. You know, if you don't let them go, they're going to be out here hungry. They're going to be wanting us to feed them. Let's, let's get them on out of here now. Verse 16, but Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. Now, what is this five loaves and two fishes? Actually, it's five loaves of bread, Christ being that bread of life. But what is five? In biblical numerics, five is grace, stands for grace. And these fish, you know, the, the fish symbol that many recognize as being Christian, it was a way in the early Christian churches to be able to mark a house just with a little, or, or a meeting place or whatever, with this little fish symbol to show, hey, we're having a Christian meeting because they were being uh, persecuted so bad back then. So these two fishes, that would be the father in the dimension of, the, in that spiritual dimension, and then in this flesh dimension, the son. And so why does fish, why, why would they use this fish symbol for Christ? In Greek, the word for fish is ichthy. And if you use it as an acronym, it stands for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Now, moving on, verse 18. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took loaves and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Now, who fed this multitude? Did Christ feed the multitude? His disciples fed the multitude. He blessed the bread. And then he gave it to his disciples. Just as this word. This word is blessed and it's given out. And freely, you can read this word. And then as you're reading this word, then you can begin to feed others. As the understanding comes. And as the wisdom from this word comes. Verse 20. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. Now, these fragments, whenever we get to chapter 16, he's really going to break down what these fragments are. Basically, what it is, is when you have a big meeting and you're teaching this truth, eventually, there's going to be some that show up who nobody wants to listen to, who can't, can't draw their own crowd but what they'll do is show up and start teaching their little stuff not the word of god but their doctrines and in chapter 16 we'll, we'll get far, we'll get deeper into that verse 21 and they that had eaten were about five thousand men besides women and children and straightway jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So he's saying, y'all go ahead, get a head start, and I'll, I'll catch up with you later. I'm on, you know, finish up here. I'll, I'll see y'all over there in a little bit. Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now that's very important that you say when, uh, that you see when the evening was come. That means the sun's going down. Verse 24, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, 
tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. There's a little storm come up. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, this fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., absolutely no sunlight, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Now, the reason that I say that it is so important to understand that this was in the early hours of the morning is because many will say, well, it was a mirage. He was walking on the beach and it looked like he was in the ocean. And then that's why Peter could here in just a, get, in just a second get out and walk also. Because it was just a mirage. You have to have light for a mirage to be there. Christ was walking on the sea. Verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. This it is I, the way this was written in the manuscripts is I am he. And why is that important? Because when Moses would ask God, when God was instructing Moses and telling him, Go to Egypt and get my people, and we're going to bring them out. And he said, who am I going to say sent me? Basically, I know they're not going to believe me. I'm, I'm Moses, you know, but who am I going to tell them? What, what's your name? And he's telling them, I am that I am. In the Hebrew, that's Iyah, Asha'iyah. And that Yah is that sacred name of God. So what Christ said of right here is, be of good cheer, Yah. Be not afraid. 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, in the flesh, Peter is walking on the water because Christ gave him that authority. He gave him that ability to step out of the boat. And with the faith that Peter had, could stand on this water. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Or why did you waver? Why did you hesitate? Now, this is symbolic of this world. You know, there's going to be, there's times of turmoil in the world. There's times of of storms and waves that we go through spiritually. And it's important that we keep our eyes on Christ and don't waver, but stay fastened on him. As we read in Revelation chapter 12, the serpent comes forth and spews out of his mouth a flood. And that's whenever he is here on earth as an antichrist, it's going to look like the greatest revival ever done. It's going to look so holy, so righteous. Oh, man, it's just going to be beautiful. But it's all lies. And that's what that flood is going to be. And it is our job as Christians to walk above that flood of lies, to keep our eyes fastened on Christ, and to never fall into that, that flood, but to always rise above it. But one thing, as soon as Peter cried out, immediately, Jesus was there and caught him. If the world is ever getting boisterous to you, 
Just talk to him. Immediately, he will set you right back up. Verse 32. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. Now, you see, when he was in his own country, they were murmuring. He was teaching and they were talking behind his back. Isn't, isn't this just the dude that grew up down the street? Who does he think he is up here trying to teach us? And he showed up in this country and they called everybody around. They knew what the deal was. Verse 36, And besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now, they didn't, they, they weren't asking for miracles. They weren't asking, oh, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. No, they had so much faith. It was, man, can we just touch the hem of your cloak? Can, can we just touch this thread right here? And we know if we just touch that, whatever we've got will be, be made whole. Chapter 15, verse 1. We'll get into this a little bit. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thou disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Why do they transgress the law? No. The tradition of the elders. There's tradition of the elders, the traditions of men. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Uh-oh. That kind of backfired on them. Verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curseth father or mother... Let him die the death, or let him surely die. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. So, what this, is, this it is a gift, is dedicated to God. Oh, it looks holy. And honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. So, oh, you just, you know, say it's for the church. It'll be okay. You don't have to honor them. You can put them off over somewhere else. You ain't got to deal with them. As long as you say it's for the church. We'll just make a little loophole right here. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Verse 7. Ye hypocrites. Well then, Esaias prophesy of you saying, or Isaiah. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. But in vain, that means an emptiness, nothingness, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching basically for, and that was Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. And he's saying, you're using the commandments of men like it's the word of God. Now, what in the world could that be talking about? Well, you don't have to learn the book of Revelation. You're not going to be here. You're going to be gone. You're going to fly away. There's no need to understand that. It's a mystery. It's, it's hidden away. Well, the word revelation means to reveal. How are you, the, the title itself 
tells you it's revealing things to you. And they're going to say, oh, well, you're not supposed to understand it. No, it's crucial that you understand it. Because you're going to fly away. Well, you're going to fly away on a flood of lies, all right. But these traditions of men, oh, they just sound so good. They make me feel so good. They just they tickle my ears. And, I, I, you know, you leave the church and you just, you, you're just so happy. Well, what'd you learn? Oh, I don't know. But I sure am happy. Oh, okay. Good luck with that. But that's why it's so important to get into this truth. The famine of the word of uh, the, the famine of the end times is for the word of God, the truth of God, and it's men's doctrine that is causing that famine to happen. Verse ten, and he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand: not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out uh, cometh out of the mouth this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended? After they heard this saying, oh, it hurt their feelings. 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. There he's nailing them. He's nailing down who they are. God didn't sow that seed in the world. The wicked one sowed that seed in the world. That wasn't planted by God. What he's saying is, they're Kenites. I don't care if I offend them or not. They're teaching wrong. They're teaching man's traditions. They're using vain doctrines instead of teaching the truth. Verse 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. They're just trying to pretend to be holy. And all those that follow them don't have a clue either. All right, we'll pick it up here in this 15th verse in the next study. God bless y'all and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas, 75691, or you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com. Thank you, and God bless you.